to the Women's Cycling Weekly Podcast, or welcome back if you listened to last week's episode, which if you did, thanks so much for listening. Hope you enjoyed our interview with Freya North. Uh, if you're new here, my name's Amy and with me is Tilda and together we make the Women's Cycling Weekly newsletter. Um, this is the second episode uh, in a series of interviews that we're going to be doing. Uh, but first of all, let's take a look at the week in women's cycling actually first of all hi Tilda how are you <laughs> hello me I'm okay how are you I'm good thanks I've still got a cold um in fact I didn't have a cold last week I was hungover but whatever I have a cold now <laughs> Never so next week. no well maybe third time lucky next week I'll be all right and not nasal sounding or on death's door anyway <laughs> This week in women's cycling, let's quickly go through the headlines. Um, First of all, it was the last women's world tour race of the season at Tour of Romandy. And Ashley Moore-Mapasio, what's the first and last here? Ashley Moore-Mapasio got her first women's world tour win, which feels like it shouldn't really be her first. Um, She got a win in the Giro Donna last year, but it wasn't actually world tour. Um, so yeah, one of those riders that's been around for a long time, but has kind of always been there or thereabouts and never fully managed to snag a win. But she did so at Romandy and she took the overall as well. So fair play to her. She also beat Anamique as well, which, you know, it wasn't as if it was a reduced field. So nice to see her finally get on the top step of a women's auto podium. Uh, sticking with racing over in America, it was the first cyclocross world cup of the season in waterloo and it was fen van ampel the young dutch rider who took the honors uh she managed to crack lucinda brand um but not quite selena carmen alvarado so nice to see her back as well selena carmen alvarado she's had a bit of a rough time of it over the last couple of years so she came second um nice to see her back on the podium um Next up, so there's been some rumours for a while about Ineos Grenadiers signing Pauline Farron Prevost. Um, they officially confirmed that um, on Wednesday. So she's going to be the first woman to ride for the Ineos Grenadiers. But it's not as if they're starting a road team anytime soon. It's just part of their kind of individual off-road um, programme, which obviously Tom Pidcock is part of as well. Um, there's no kind of indication yet if they're going to sign any other mountain bikers or women or anything like that. But yeah, they've picked up Pauline and they're going to help her along the road to Paris 2024. Um, and possibly, she hinted in the press release, she might be going for a fifth world title with the cyclocross worlds. That's in her plan for the winter now. So, Which, girl, take a break. <laughs> Literally, she, have a rest. Oh, I mean, I hope right now that's what she's doing after Gravel Wheels, which we did say that last time, did we? Oh, no, it hadn't happened. She's won her fourth. <laughs> we are organized over here. She, <laughs> she won her fourth world title in two months at the Gravel World Championships uh, last weekend. Um, so, yeah, that would be her fifth. And she's already thinking about cross, which honestly, I'm tired thinking about that. But, yeah, go, go off, Pauline. 
good for you um what's next so the tour de france femme um i feel like we just never stopped hearing about it since it happened but already it's time to reveal the route for next year or it will be in a couple of weeks time and there's rumors going around that it's not going to start in paris this time it's gonna maybe move down to the pyrenees which i think you're pretty pleased about that aren't you tilda i am for various reasons um i just love the pyrenees as a place i lived there for a while during uni but also it would just be excellent to see the race go to some of the kind of iconic climbs that we see in the men's race and I think I think moving away from the Paris start you know there really are pros to starting on the same day that the men finish in the same place and it was definitely a big event this year um but it does limit you in where the route can go without crazy transfers when you only have eight days so starting somewhere else it sounds like it might be Clermont uh Clermont Ferrand I think that's what it's called. Not, not Tilda tripping over <laughs> pronunciation. I know. I'm getting confused with Pauline from Provo. That's my issue. <laughs> but yeah. So same, that's same. that's a kind of right in the middle, bang in the middle of France. And you can kind of go uh, south through the Mass- Massif Central to the Pyrenees. So yeah, that would be really interesting. But we've got two weeks to wait until the official announcement. We have. Nice for me, actually. That closer to old Girona. Maybe I just drive there. That would be useful. Obviously, it's all about me, of course. Um, <laughs> and lastly, uh, the track wheels kicked off yesterday. Um, we are undecided if we really care that much about track. Personally, I actually really enjoyed watching racing without having to write about it. I was saying this to Sam last night. We were just kind of watching. I was just watching it and enjoying it because I was watching it for the sake of watching it rather than just trying to look for things to talk about which was good and I actually I I don't mind track I think it's I think it's entertaining like it's quick it's fast-paced yeah track quilts is on until Sunday all the various track events I'm not going to go through them have you got anything to say about track worlds Tilda I haven't but I will be tuning in a little bit it's nice to but this is the problem like road finishes and suddenly you've got 1700 (laughs) disciplines to look at so yeah can't have any break from racing over here no but at least they're different to road you know cross and track like it's kind of I feel like the the racing fatigue is kind of it's more like road racing fatigue to Mm. be more specific about it because you know it's the same format really and then to move from that to like track and cross which are they happen faster for people with short attention spans me that's actually much better so I don't know we'll keep you posted anyway in the newsletter and on here probably maybe stay tuned um okay moving on uh this week's guest Ah, before we move on to this week's guest actually just a reminder if you didn't listen to last week's podcast what are you doing first of all but um if you want to get your hands on a signed copy of Freya North's iconic novel Cat uh then go and listen to last week's episode uh there's a clue in there somewhere uh and all the details of this competition and you can win yourself a copy of that book so go back and listen um but this week who do we have on the pod this week we have our wonderful friend, colleague, journalist, gravel rider, 
Betsy Welsh. Uh, she might be a name that you've come across if you're a, well, I mean, if you read the newsletter, we're always putting her stories in there, aren't we? Because we love them. Um, but yeah, she she's a writer for Velo News. Um, she came to the Tour de France fam with all of us. So we had a very wonderful time with her. She's a very interesting character. Uh, she knows a lot more about gravel and all the off-road stuff than we do so yeah we kind of had a pretty wide-ranging chat with her um it definitely starts off with some gravel stuff but don't worry if you've heard enough of that um it does go we do talk about more things like Betsy's crazy long rides across Europe after the Tour de France and um her work and her writing and what she thinks about women's racing so yeah it's it's a pretty wide-ranging chat um but to be honest we just interviewed her because we love her right yeah she's an iconic queen I feel like she's just she's got like very sage life guidance she's like a I don't even know what the word is but she's just it's it might seem a bit weird and meta like two cycling journalists interviewing another cycling journalist on this podcast which on the surface does seem a bit like why but she's more than that like she's done so much with her life like she's like as she told us like I found out that she trained as a nurse before this and like she's been to loads of places and done lots of things and obviously as well it was timely because she is really knowledgeable about gravel um, and especially the American gravel racing scene so with the gravel wheels last week we thought it was a good time to get Betsy on about that but yeah like you say we talked about so many other things and she's just a super interesting person and we hope you enjoy listening to what she has to say as much as we enjoyed speaking to her so here's Betsy welcome to the women's cycling weekly podcast Betsy Betsy Welch (laughs) thank you I am so excited to be here we've been honestly when we started this podcast we were like one of the people we must have on here is Betsy so we're so happy um but for anyone who doesn't know who you are do you want to tell us a little bit who are you (laughs) oh where to begin well um I am a journalist at Velo News and um I guess the bigger outside ecosystem um I write about gravel and sometimes mountain biking and sometimes road cycling which is what brought me, I guess, to you girls when we met this summer in France, covering the Tour de France Femme. Um, So that's kind of, I guess, my professional introduction in terms of who I am outside of work. I mean, I'm just a girl. I'm just a girl (laughs) who likes to ride bikes and travel and talk to people. yeah, I live in Colorado and I travel a lot. I'm actually in Bend, Oregon right now. Um, yeah, that's about it. Have you always been a journalist, Betsy? No, I haven't. I've always been, I've always loved to write. I've always aspired to be a writer, but I've like career-wise done a few different things. I was a Spanish teacher for a few years um you know I've done like odd jobs like working on farms and being a nanny and things like that but 
um, before I started writing for outside, I was a nurse actually for nine years, um, kind of a public health nurse. So working a lot with underserved populations and immigrant populations in Colorado. Um, but I always sort of have been like a writer on the side, whether I was, you know, like writing for free for a local alternative newspaper, or I've, I've freelanced for different outdoor um, industry magazines like Trail Runner or um, Outside or something like that. And then because of Gravel, actually, and my partner and I's um, foray into gravel racing a few years ago, I had the opportunity to freelance a little bit for Velo News. And that turned into an opportunity to write full time, which had like always been a dream of mine. And so um, right before the COVID pandemic like erupted, so February of 2020, I started at Velo News, quit my nursing job, started the Velo News job, global pandemic, sort of had a little bit of a moral conundrum, like, oh shit, I, maybe I should not be writing about bikes. I have the skill to like maybe help people. Um, but it turned out to be okay. I ended up doing some volunteering around the pandemic. Um, but yeah, I have been a full-time writer since then. Quite varied careers, though. I didn't realize you were a nurse. Yeah, I get, I don't know whether to put it like I get bored easily or I'm curious about a lot of things. Probably I should say I'm curious about a lot of things. Um, And, you know, it's funny, like being a nurse, at least the kind of nurse I was, there's a lot of parallels with journalism. You know, you're just, you're gathering information, you're talking to patients, you're trying to like get the story. Um, So in that way, my, one of my favorite parts about being a journalist is the interview and, uh, you 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 can do that in healthcare too, which is cool. That's really true. Actually, I had never thought about that. I'd never actually thought that what I do is anything close to that. Mainly because I'm hugely squeamish and would be the worst nurse ever. Also, not <laughs> sure about my bedside manner. Um, <laughs> but you mentioned gravel, and I guess that's kind of like one of the main things we wanted to talk to you about because we don't really know that much about it, but you know a lot, and I think it's one of these things that's like come in more and more into the forefront of cycling and I think it would be good for the listeners also who maybe don't know too much about it to just get to know the gravel world and what it's about I guess um but first will you guys tell me like what is your like view on gravel like from your from your homes and you know Girona in the UK and like your seats at the table like what do you think it is or what do people who aren't in the U.S. scene think of it that is a good question (laughs) (laughs) um I'm trying to think when it first like became a thing in my mind and I feel like it must be within the last like five years maximum that I've even been aware of gravel as a sport and it does seem like in my mind and especially after the weekend the idea of gravel as a sport as what it is like riding a bike on gravel or grass or off track whatever is like not really what defines the sport and the races that we see in America and the scene that surrounds that and the people that ride in those races like 
that is what I think gravel is. It's not necessarily defined by it just being off track riding, but it's like this whole community and all of that. And yeah, I guess it became, I think as road cycling writers, fans, whatever, we probably mainly became aware of it. Like when pros started riding, like when Pete Stessner started riding, was probably one of the first people that I remember kind of making that transition from road to that. So yeah, it's kind of only been because of that that I've even been aware of it. And now I'm like, yeah, it's this cool thing that Americans do and they get really like hard and it's all sand and looks really warm and fun. <laughs> and it's not necessarily what we saw at the weekend. I was just gonna say for me, like it was not a racing thing it, when I first kind of discovered it. Um, well, like was introduced to it. I didn't discover it. Um it was just, I started riding a gravel bike here in Girona a few years ago. Um, I actually still own one, but it's been stuck in the UK. It's a long story. Um, and it was kind of like, for me, my first like proper foray into off-road. So I'd never really done mountain biking or anything like that. And I loved it because it was like new and I wasn't on the road. Like the drivers around here are fine, but it's just something different. Um, and it was like testing the limits and like skills and stuff like that because I had never like learned how to ride you know anything like rocks or stuff like that so that was like my first kind of experience of it and I'd never really like considered the race inside mm-hmm. um and then when it, when I sort of thought about that it was like a very American thing like the the like unbound and that sort of thing because in Europe I mean, I had done like a gravel race actually here in Girona, but it was like a fun race, like a no one took it like super seriously. At least I didn't. Um, and yeah, the actual like racy stuff was in my head, like exclusively American. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, there's also like this general sense of like, I don't want to say snobbery, but definitely there's a lot of people that are just like, oh, gravel is like just a fad or something like that for a while at least that was that sentiment um and then like after seeing the world at the weekend like I think there's room for like a separate separate kind of facets of it I guess like the pro side with Mm -hmm. this this race and like maybe a UCI series or whatever and then the kind of original definition I guess that's come from the states I don't know what do you think um well I think that like kind of as like Tilda was alluding it's 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 like it's more like a cultural phenomenon really than like a pure race thing you know um and I think that too is probably why there's been such like a I don't know, such a fiercely like protective or this, this concept of like, this is something we have to protect because it's like the sacred culture that we've cultivated. And um, I think that's why a lot of people were not interested in the UCI gravel worlds because it wasn't representative of this larger cultural phenomenon of gravel racing um, in the U.S., but I mean, there's a lot of different tangents to, or like a lot of different paths to go down talking about it. And I've been talking to a lot of, a lot of athletes, pros, you know, sort of 
uh, fans, participants. And it's really interesting. Like some people still are very, very passionate that like the UCI is going to ruin this thing that um, was cultivated in the US and looks a certain way. Other people, like you just said, Amy, are like, you know, this can be its own thing and it's not going to threaten the unbounds or the BWRs. Um, and I, I just think it sort of remains to be seen. I mean, my biggest disappointment, well, I had a couple disappointments with the UCI race. I mean, one is that like, you know, it's for like Pauline and Matthew Vanderpool, like, like our gravel pros aren't going to beat those riders. Like it's just, it's, they haven't been doing the same sport. So that felt like a little weird. Um, but then again, you know, I, I wrote a opinion piece for Velo News about this. I was really disappointed that the race, I think, um, I have it on pretty good faith that like we had the chance to have it here in the U.S. and have it be more representative of like gravel as we know it. And for various reasons, it wasn't held here and there wasn't really any, um, like American stakeholders to advocate for, Hey, this is like kind of how gravel should be. So I don't know, could it have been different? You know, if it had been in the U S would you have seen like some of these Euro pros coming over? Maybe not like for them, it was easy. You know, like we were just saying, like, I couldn't get over to Italy in a, with a few days notice to cover the race. So similarly, I think if the riders were already over there, it was easy sponsors, brands, you know, if you're on a team, like it's a drop in the hat to drop, to jump in that race. Um, but anyway, I mean, I'll just come back to like American gravel. It's, it's a really cool cultural phenomenon that honestly has its own issues. Like aside from the UCI worlds, there's a, there is a bit of a, a, a push and pull with how, um, competitive, the front end of the race has gotten and the whole pro set and how to like maintain this cool um, balance that there's been between the 90% of people who are participants, the 10% who are pros. Actually, that's probably not even, it's probably more like 98% and 2%. Um, but yeah, for such a small niche little thing, it's, it, it, I'm never without things to cover like around the the discipline, which is kind of kind of crazy. Kind of on that subject, then we always hear this phrase, the spirit of gravel, which side note, don't know if anyone's watched the Mighty Boosh, but it reminds me of the spirit of jazz. Do you know what I'm talking about? Yeah. <laughs> Every time I picture I picture the spirit of gravel as this like actual guy who's like the spirit of gravel. <laughs> But yeah, like, yeah. What are you talking he's got about? like got he's definitely wearing a camelback hydration backpack <laughs> covered in dust yeah i'm imagining this guy now. <laughs> go and look That's up funny. the spirit of jazz the mighty British. if you don't know what we're talking about i don't know what the spirit <laughs> of gravel is you guys and i will it's it's highly controversial um no it's i i think what it is is like again it's this sort of like uh perfect um intersection or no 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 it's it's sort of like this 
tacit agreement that we all have that we're going to go out there, we're going to ride our bikes, um, sort of one of the like the glib rules of which there are no rules is like, don't be a dick. So it's like, just go out there, ride your bike, be cool. Um, Solid rule. Be- because if you don't, we're going to get rules and we don't want rules. So it's sort of like this, <laughs> maybe it's like a, it's like a silent threat in a way, like if you don't honor this, but the reason it's become, I think more, um, I don't know. I don't, I don't know that it's really truly controversial, but is because with more pros making this more of like a really competitive race um people are doing things that previously weren't done in gravel like you know there's really no you're not really supposed to race as teams you're not really supposed to like do anything that gives you an unfair advantage over you know the average joe in the back and so some of that stuff has started to happen. And it's that's why there's this sort of like tongue in cheek, cheek, like, uh-oh, we're violating the spirit of gravel. But the truth is, is like the spirit of gravel is whatever you want to make of it. And because we're humans, we don't actually agree on anything. How much does it actually feel like things are kind of changing and being a bit too like, professionalized I guess because I feel like when you go to the weekend of yeah BWR or Unbound or something it's a whole big thing and there's loads of different events and lots of different races and it's not all about the longest most elite race and who's winning that like does it still feel to you uh how it used to and because you know we'll think of the headlines of who won the elite race and all that and we can see that side of it but is the other side of it still very much alive? Yeah, I mean, that's a really great point because I think we do only tend to see the headlines and the tweets. And like, those are typically people who may not even be there or may not do the sport itself. Um, And I will say, you know, like gravel is my beat. I've been covering it for a few years. I've been to all these races now, a lot of them multiple times. And like with any job, sometimes it's like, oh, okay, well, I'm going to Unbound again, or I'm going to Steamboat again. But every time I come away being like, this is a cool thing. Like, this is really cool. I mean, you do, you, people are are thrilled. Like people are thrilled to finish. People are thrilled to achieve their own goals. And, <clears throat> you know, I, I really think the, the drama is like, um, it really only affects like a very small percentage of people and sort of they control that narrative themselves and the rest of the people don't really, don't really care. I mean, I do think race organizers might have to start making some decisions about um, perhaps a separate pro race or like doing feed zones differently for pros because, you know, most people are out there like just to finish and pros blasting through at like mock speed can kind of like interfere with um, other people's race. But like in that, but it, overall in that way, like there is a spirit of gravel and it's this cool thing where anybody can sign up and do a bike race for any reason um, and and have a lot of fun. I'm not a racer myself, you know, and like, I've never been a competitive cyclist, but I would say that, you know, gravel has been a place for me to feel like I can, 
you know, party in the back or race hard in the front, like either way. And that's, that's cool. Cause I would never like do that at a, at a road race or a cross race. I just wouldn't sort of know where to begin and gravel. It's, it is the beginning. Like it's, it's just been a, an entry point for a lot of people. In that way, then in my kind of like simplified road based way of thinking, how is that then? Like surely then there's just, it's the distinction between a ma- any mass participation event and a pro event, in which case I guess there is then a need for a separate pro race and then just keep the rest as it is. If you say, especially if you say that like the vast majority of people are just there to have fun and there's only a tiny portion of people who take it really seriously and blast through the feed zones and drama. Want to know more about that too. Love drama. <laughs> yeah it's it's you know I I think it's interesting and I think it's worth having conversations about like does there need to be a pro race um if so what would that look like and uh, you know rather than like me tell people what I think I always you know you go to the athletes you ask them and within it there's an interesting conversation with the women pros because these races are mass start and you know, it's not like that in any other discipline, right? Like, um, of cycling. And so there's, there's been, you know, I don't know if I drama, there's been conversation about like, is there a true women's race in gravel if they're all racing with the men? And it's just about like, who can hustle enough to get, you know, get in the lead group and hang on the men's wheel. And Sophia Gomez Villafanye, who won Unbound this year, like she's been a real, vocal proponent of like it'd be cool to race the women but until we have our own race we're we're not like this isn't a women's race um so yeah that's an interesting conversation and you know gravel worlds i had hoped would have been perhaps a way to like test the theory um of hey here's a women's race unfortunately again like because so few of them are actual gravel racers. I'm not sure it was, it's really an accurate test of like what a women's race, sorry, the sun is like beaming and um, yeah, I don't know. I, I think it's, it's really interesting because a lot of the, the pros have come from pro road racing and like, they're the ones that are saying the spirit of gravel is dead and like, it's gotten too, um, you know, fast and competitive. And I'm just, I find that an interesting perspective because I'm like, well, but you guys, you made it that way. (laughs) Like you came and raced hard and, and that's elevated the level and it's brought other people to the sport. So again, it's one of these things where it's like, we can't, I don't know if we can have it all. Like something may have to give. Um, I'm not, I'm just not sure when, when it's going to, I don't want to use the word implode. That sounds like something bad is really coming, but um, I think changes will come. I'm, I'm, I'm not quite sure what they'll be though. You guys see, you got me talking about racing. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> Saz. It, it, it cool. is like, I'll just, you know, I, it's funny because it's got, there's so many like, I don't, I don't know, like, I don't know what to call them. Um, little like stereotypes, you know, like 
the whiskey at the aid station and the like bacon hand ups and and I think again like the whole spirit of gravel is trying to be all of that and prose and everyone has a beer at the end and I think that's where people were like oh UCI worlds is just it's not going to be representative of that and of like of course it's not um I guess the question for the future is, can it all exist together and not, you know, threaten one another? But I'm not making any predictions because I really don't know. <laughs> I mean, I don't know what I'm talking about, really, but I can't see a reason why not. It's And, if, and lots of other disciplines have like various different levels and different like branches of that discipline that are like more or less serious or not so I think it's okay I mean I don't know what I'm on about but gravel people chill but you you also you say we're talking about racing but we met you at a race Betsy so and that was yeah I mean obviously this is a podcast about women's racing uh but the Tour de France Femme was a kind of like semi-new territory for you was it not Totally. I was so nervous to go over there and like, not just to um, cover the sport of road racing, but to like meet you guys and like work alongside you guys because you're like the experts and uh, very intimidating. I'll add. Um, (laughs) Yes. So we're not experts (laughs) on anything, are we? (laughs) Well, no. You know what I'm saying, I think. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I was, I was nervous. Like I, it's, it's, it was outside of my, of my comfort zone. Um, the coverage sort of like all of it. And then, yeah, meeting women whose names I, you know, whose bylines I've read, whose like stories I've consulted to, you know, when I'm writing a story about road. Um, but turns out I had nothing to be afraid of. No, I did want to ask like, how did you going to the tour come about because it is very different from uh (laughs) what you do did you ask to go were you asked to go I mean that's a great question and this is like typical Betsy like I definitely asked to go I definitely said Sive and I should go we should only send women like and then I had this idea of like I was gonna somehow get all of us women journalists and like I don't know make us sort of an unofficial team. Um, so that was my, like, and this happened, I think it was at, um, there's a big bike industry thing in California in April called Sea Otter. And, um, that's where I met my boss, Daniel Benson, who lives in the UK. And that's where I was like, Dan, like, we're going to Tour de France Femme, like just women, like, sorry, (laughs) you're not coming. And, uh, I hope, all I hope all the titles only send women and like how cool would that be um so I got really excited and then you know I had a few months to get really nervous but 100% I wanted to go like I'm a big fan of first year historic um events and I also felt really strongly that we should send a team of women um and you know that's a topic we could go down a rabbit hole on too like do only women cover women or does that make it better but um that's just 
how I felt about this. And I'm so grateful. It was a highlight of my year, like highlight of this job so far. Um, Me too. Yeah, same. (laughs) Definitely. Well, because also like the experience of working with alongside so many women was also new to us. Like, although we've covered races before, like a lot of the time you're in a minority in a breastroom as a woman. So to have like such a big group of us, sorry, Matt, who was working with me from Cycling Tips. That was a good sport. Yeah, he was. He was. Um, Yeah, it was actually a novelty for us as well. But yeah what what was kind of it was the highlight of your year but in terms of the race like what was the highlight of the race for you I can't say working with you guys I mean you can we'll take that but also in terms of like on the job at the race apart from getting to see our faces every day what was champagne oh yeah the oh yeah you can't you can't say the free champagne though (laughs) Um, well, that was a highlight. And next year I'm expecting better participation from the other journalists on that front. Cause I felt like hey, I was there. I was up you, for it. You, you, Amy, you actually, yes, you were not hard to convince to have a glass of champagne no. in the middle of the day. I, I was too me? much in the cycling news mindset <laughs> that week. Next year we're going women's cycling weekly. I'm doing whatever. <laughs> We've already oh. discussed this. We're not Ooh. sitting in the press room until 10 p.m. We're getting on the bevs and having a good time and taking a different angle. Obviously, we will work as well. We're not just going at the expense of Women's Cycling Weekly and getting pissed every day. But Can I come with you guys then? Uh, yeah. <laughs> You're hired. <laughs> um, you know, but and this is not like I'm not dodging the question about my favorite thing, but I again like I as someone who tends to tends more to the cultural side of things or like the um, profile pieces because of my sort of like what I consider elementary lack or elementary understanding of racing I loved like getting into the racing through you girls like watching you sort of like analyze and like know what the f was going on like (laughs) (laughs) made me that much more interested you know like it's like any sport when you're when you're watching with like a diehard fan I mean it's it's much easier to like get get really excited um and it was really cool to like when I first started at Velo News because COVID wiped everything off the calendar like gravel what I was supposed to be covering I did have to cover women's road because that was like the first thing to come back was pro road racing and so I had, you know, interviewed Audrey and um, Elisa Longo-Borghini and Anna and stuff. And so like to be on the ground, like sticking my recorder in their faces, like, I mean, that was cool. Like that was, these are fucking legends of the sport. Um, And it was, I was so um, grateful to those women for talking to us as much as they did I mean we all know like they were completely overwhelmed by the attention they got that week like they've never had so many journalists wanting to speak to them and I just felt like they uh, they went above and beyond you know they raced their hearts out and they like they did all of the other jobs and a huge part of that was talking to us before and after racing um and then finally like just seeing a bike race in France 
and the fans and sort of, I think we had all gone into it thinking that like it would be a watered down version of the men's tour and that there wouldn't be as many fans or that they wouldn't really care. And um, they came out and that was really fun. No, I think like that was what was the highlight for most people is like just seeing how much support there was on the side of the road. And like, even the riders were surprised by it. And well, especially the riders were surprised by it. And they, they also, yeah, they really got up and like, they understood the like meaning of the race. Whereas I think that's what's so nice about covering women's racing is that like, you do get the sense that like, they actually, as well as like being racers, they, the riders also understand the role of journalists and the media in promoting the sport and whereas like I mean I haven't really covered many men's races and this is not to just like compare and slag off the men but for them it's a lot more of just like a oh yeah it's like a chore it's part of it but they don't like it and they'll give you a two-word answer kind of thing um but now that like the dust has kind of settled like do you guys think that because my big question at the end was like okay people cared, people tuned in, like the statistics showed that it was, you know, everyone, I mean, for us on Velo News, like the page views were off the charts. But my question was like, is this going to make people care about other women's races? Um, Or is it going to be kind of the way the men's tour is, which like, it's the only bike race that non-cycling fans have heard of or tune into. Um, And is that okay? Like if, the women's tour is the same thing or you know wouldn't it be cool if people cared about other women's races too do you guys think that it did like cultivate new fans it's a hard one isn't it and I think it's quite hard to answer from being like quite embedded inside the sport um but I do feel like in this in the second half of this year like everyone has been talking about women's cycling just a lot more and I think even people who who did watch it or you know would tune in for the big races like Flanders and all of that they sat down and watched eight stages of the race watching the same peloton day in day out and how it works and you can pick up like so much from just a short amount of time and I think that then yeah going into the races that followed it was a lot of stage races again people just had a renewed understanding of it and instead of going in thinking, oh, well, I'm watching this, but I only really know Van Vleuten and Cassie Nuvodoma, they had a wider understanding of the sport. And I see so much more like in-depth discussion on like Twitter and stuff about racing and tactics and all of this that people weren't necessarily doing before because they didn't have that understanding. So whether there are more fans, I don't know. And I think you're right. It, it, It will be one of those things like the men's tour where everyone talks about it all the national newspapers talk about it every summer but then forget that this will exist the rest of the year right but but to that point though I guess that's where the men's tour and like now the women's is almost like a bit of a gateway into the sport for some people so it's not maybe there are just people who only care about the tour like my dad's one of those people who like he like he rides himself he likes cycling but he only the only race he watches or cares about is the tour de france he doesn't care about the classics doesn't even know what they are but for me I got into it through getting through him watching the tour and then I was like oh I want to know more about this sport so like there's there's definitely going to be people who just watch the tour but then there 
there will also be some people who watch the tour and then go deeper I think what about you Betsy have you watched much more road racing since then I I I don't watch necessarily um but I do read your pieces like you know Tilda (laughs) Tilda does some freelancing for Vela News and I I mean sometimes I edit that but like I that's that's really how I learn is from like my direct colleagues and then you know you guys and like you know our sort of greater ecosystem um and it's it honestly I would love to keep writing about um women's road racing it's just I get um really busy with gravel and stuff but I mean it's funny because after the tour de after the tour de France I came home and I was like how can I write about gravel like I just witnessed like the coolest thing ever um so that was that was just like a great feeling you know and it was also like you know, maybe my position as an outsider allowed me to, to like see it in, in, and just for how amazing it was. Although I think we all saw it for how amazing it was. Um, but, but yeah. And it's also like, as someone who just rides, who loves to ride bikes, like I'm so impressed by these women, you know, it's, it's like, it's a lot to put yourself out there and say, I want to like, I want to win and then have to try and win. And it's, it's incredibly vulnerable and brave. And I also really appreciated how many scars they have all over their bodies. Cause I have a lot of scars from crashing on my bike too. So it's just, I don't know. It's cool. I love bikes. Well, on that note, what did you do after the tour? Because we all went home absolutely exhausted. I <laughs> wanted to sleep for a week. And I, I don't understand how we do it until Commonwealth yeah. Games when I saw you. Three days. Which is the Three bed. days. Yeah. <laughs> Actually, yeah, what am I on about? But I wanted to sleep for me, I just couldn't. And didn't want to look at a bike or think about <laughs> bikes or bike racing, which again had no choice, but didn't yeah. Luckily it was a different discipline. But yeah, just we were exhausted. Don't understand how people do three weeks of that. But what did you do, Betsy? Well, um, <laughs> I went for a bike ride in um, France and Italy in the Alps on my gravel bike for six days. Um, It was a really incredible route called the Torino-Nice Rally. It's like a off-road route from Torino, Italy to Nice, France. And um, it takes in some of like the famous climbs um from the Giro and the tour and then also goes on these like amazing gravel mountain roads you know built by like the Italian army for World War One um and I just took like one change of clothes and stuffed my pockets with croissants every day and rode from village to village and this was on your own right I did it by myself yeah yeah so I I um, had left a bike in Paris um, while we were all, you know, on the road for the tour. And then when the tour ended, I came back to Paris, built the bike up, had like a minor freak out because I hadn't booked my um, transport to Torino and like all the trains were sold out. And I was like, oh my God, I'm, cause this was my plan to, this is what I wanted to do, but I hadn't, I'm kind of a last minute booker of things um 
So there was some mild panic. I was like, oh shit, I'm just going to have to fly home because like, this is August in um, France, like everything's booked. But at the last minute I found a bus, an overnight bus from Paris to Turin, Italy. And um, yeah, I got on the bus at like 12.30 a.m. at some random bus station in Paris with my bike and um, woke up the next morning in Italy and started riding. Pretty cool. And how was the experience? It looked really beautiful, but I imagine uh, doing those kind of rides on your own can be a challenge in more ways than just the physical. Yeah, I, I'm kind of a lone wolf in a lot of ways. I do a lot of things alone, um, you know, on the bike and otherwise. And um, fortunately, like the route was really like the route's amazing. Like somebody has made this route and I just had to download, um, you know, the, the GPX track. So like that part was cool. I mean, there's a little bit of like, actually, I really... I never really was like uncomfortable or afraid. I mean, I think one of the things about doing things alone is you just, you wish someone was there to like share it with you, but it also makes you more outgoing and, you know, you, it makes you, I think, interact more with the people you meet along the way. Um, I had a really fun night at a refugio in Italy and met like a couple Italian guys. And, you know, I, one day I got stuck in like a horrible rain thunderstorm and I was up really high, like above tree line. And I like hit out in this like shack with this guy. Okay. That sounds so this guy (laughs) uh, who was like manning the mountain road moto tours. Like he let me hide out in his shack for hours. And, you know, so you have experiences like that and that that becomes the story you tell rather than like, oh, I did this bike ride with this friend. And um, so it's it's just a different, um, it's a different, I don't know, it's a different way of doing things. And there's, there's different pluses and minuses to it. But um, I mean, the thing about Europe, and you guys are so lucky, like, I, I never was like worried that I was going to be stuck out, you know, camping or like that I wasn't going to be okay. Like there were villages and um, people aren't, I don't think they're necessarily like, oh, who's this weird woman traveling alone? Um, I mean, it's not, of course, the most common thing, but it wasn't like, I wasn't like a freak or a weirdo. So um, yeah, it was great. And then when I got to Nice, um I just like rode around and ate a ton of food and swam in the ocean and got on a train and went back to Paris and then flew back to America it was pretty I was pretty cooked by the end I will admit like the days were huge climbing days I don't like like lots and lots of thousands of vertical feet and you know meters too I guess I mean, when you put it, yeah, it sounds like an amazing adventure, to be honest. Like, and I think after after watching the racing and stuff, like I did want to like, I wanted in my head to ride my bike. I just don't know if I physically could have done that, but I can see the appeal for sure. Um, Have you got any more like things like that planned? Like what's next for you on the bike and at work? 
Yeah, I mean, I'm a little like tired, I guess, from the season of travel and stuff. Um, I have a couple more trips to events. Um, there's a big gravel race in Arkansas in a few weeks. It's the last race in the Lifetime Grand Prix series, which is like this kind of big deal series that um, debuted this year. So I'll go do that. Um, and then in November, trip, a couple trips to one more event, um, one of my favorite events down in Arizona, and then um, a trip to San Francisco to ride with some people. And then in terms of winter, I'm not sure. Um, I do like to do winter sports, so spend some time off the bike and on the skis, but um, hopefully a warm weather mission. Um, yeah, I don't know. I'm kind of like a, a little bit of a fly by the seat of my pants. Like if something cool comes up, um, I like to be able to say yes. Um, but I don't really have a great adventure lined up. However, you mentioning going to New Zealand, Amy, like that's definitely, um, I'm, I'm, that's up there on my list of potential. I want to ride the whole length of the country. Like there's this cool event called the Tour Aotearoa and it's not a race, but you can race it um, and you ride the whole length. And I think that'd be really cool. Wow. Both islands. Yeah. Damn. Well, so maybe- get yourself down there in like December, January, and maybe I'll ride a little bit with you. Exactly. I'm not riding the whole thing, but maybe a bit of it. <laughs> exactly. No, um, that'd be really cool. I feel like we've talked too much about me though. Like, can I, I want to interview you guys. Maybe, can we do another episode? Where... <laughs> you're, yeah. the, you're the interviewee, that's why. No, but it's so weird. And you girls know, too. like, it's, it's like so weird to have it turned on you. But it's like, yeah, when you were interviewing us at the tour, I was like, I don't know what I to know. say. <laughs> yeah, one day when you just turned to me and you were like, can we do an interview? And I, d- I didn't know what you meant. And then I was like, oh, you want to hear from me? Okay. I don't know what I've got to say. <laughs> it's actually much more comfortable being on this side of it. But yeah. But you've got so many interesting things to say, Betsy. Bitsy. Mm. Yeah, it's so um, funny that, you know, you talk about learning from us, but I feel like I always learn so much from you. And like everything I know about gravel is because of you. And just a lot about, your outlook on life and riding and everything I know we only spend eight magical days together <laughs> but I don't know like there's just something about you that just absorbed a lot of good energy from you Aww. and I found you fascinating which is why we wanted to interview you and we just surely cannot be that interesting as you are um there's no way all I do is sit at home <laughs> and work and that's it I don't know I don't know what I do definitely okay. not adventures like Riding from Turin to Nice. <laughs> yeah, but the, the, that's okay. We contain multitudes. Like, you don't have to do crazy adventures like me. It probably means there's something wrong with me, to be very honest. But um, we don't have to go to, down there. But um, no, it's it's like, it was so cool to, like, hang out with you guys and, like, learn from each other. And mainly, like, not to feel competitive. Like, I think that was another fear is, like, you know, are we all going to be trying to, like, get the same story out first and like there is a degree of that but I mean hopefully none of our bosses are listening like we didn't care (laughs) I didn't care you know and you know we were transcribing interviews for each other and um 
it was fun too to like walk around the, the paddocks and like hear the questions you know that you would ask versus what I would ask like it's I mean it's it's I think there's a lot of um the fact that we are like all different and come from different backgrounds in cycling like that only makes I think our coverage better for sure well I think we can end it there on that wholesome note I think if there's one thing we've learned about Betsy is that she doesn't sit still so can't wait to hear about what she's going to do next because for sure it's something exciting if not we'll see you at the tour next year in whatever capacity oh it's been so nice having you on Betsy it's been so nice to chat to you and catch up because we had such a good time at the tour and we're such a good crew and it's just nice to share Betsy with the listeners like so now they all know how great you are as well so yeah thanks so much for coming on thanks for having me I'm I'm so flattered and I hope I met and or exceeded expectations like I said it's very uncomfortable being the one being asked the questions instead of asking but um I mean for the most part we were just catching up so that was great Ah, oh, so nice to speak to Betsy. Nice to catch up. Obviously, we haven't seen her since the tour. It was honestly that that podcast could have been twice the length if you had recorded our whole entire actual conversation. But obviously, some of that is just for us. We'll share you a little bit of Betsy, but not all of it. Yeah, she's actually ours. So, <laughs> um, no, it's so good to hear about her experiences. And yeah, we could talk to her for days, but obviously. Who's going to listen to that on a podcast apart from us? We would listen to that. Actually, if there was a two-hour podcast with Betsy, I would fully listen to it. Anyway, um, hope you enjoyed our second interview, our second episode of the Women's Cycling Weekly podcast. Uh, don't forget that there's more Where All This Came From in our newsletter. Just go to Substack and search. How do you, how do you even find the newsletter, actually? <laughs> you just search Women's Cycling Weekly Substack or to be honest like the stupid url that i invented is not helpful because like (laughs) you have to spell out so it's mammal repeller maybe i should explain this slightly if anyone's actually still listening to this podcast mammal repeller comes from the fact that there was a fashion website people might remember back in the day called man repeller which was basically about wearing clothes that men hate which is like anything high fashion or like just a bit out there and obviously mammal if you don't know I think it's a British thing mainly is it mammal I, th- I think so yeah, I it's dance, it that much it stands for middle-aged man in lycra um so it's m-a-m-i-l um but really it's more of like a state of mind than just a descriptor so middle-aged men are actually welcome do not turn off if you're a middle-aged man who wears lycra that's not the point um it's kind of like those guys who will overtake a woman on a bike just for the sake of it because she's a woman etc etc anyway mammalrepeller.substack.com it will be in the description you can just click (laughs) why did I just waste my breath (laughs) just look in the show notes guys um and yeah again if you want to win a copy of Freya North's book Cat signed by Freya herself go back and listen to last week's episode and if you liked what you heard today and last week please rate review and subscribe to this podcast we will it will help us a lot and we'll love you forever um i think that's all we've got are we done here tilda i think we are done here
we will see you all next week bye bye a rich man's world I have turned the song of this beautiful land but the key